0: I coach my son's baseball team. And it's really quite amusing watching six, seven, and eight-year-olds try to transition from hitting a ball that's sitting on a tee to a ball that is moving through the air at them. And watching them try to learn um, what is a very difficult task and you have once games start you have all of these parents sitting in the stands yelling things at these little kids as they're getting ready to hit some of them really good advice some of them absolutely terrible advice Um, and so you'll have a kid who's going up to hit for the very first time and you'll have parents bend your knees Get your back elbow up. Get your elbow down. Swing hard. Swing easy. And you have all of these parents all saying different things and watching these kids, listening to parents. (laughs) It's kind of comical. And there is this thing that I kind of have to do As we get into games, as kids come to the plate with all the noise around them and all the parents giving different advice. Hey, watch the ball. Watch the ball. Don't don't worry about your elbow. Don't worry about your knees. I mean, those are all things we can correct and we can work on during practice, but right now, watch the ball. Watch the ball. Don't worry about anything else that you can do mechanically. Don't worry about all the people in the stands. Don't worry about people running. Don't worry about having to get, just right now, just watch the ball. It's amazing something so significant to the process of hitting a baseball. Watching it is one of the very first things that just flies out of our mind. Watch the ball. Watch the ball. Don't don't worry about anything else. Watch the ball. Last week we challenged you and us as a church to go next door. And we gave you this neighborhood map simply asking you the question and asking me the question, do we know our neighbors? Because if Jesus said that you were to love your neighbor as yourself, then it would seem pretty significant that we actually know who our neighbors are. And in a deep, more intimate way than just, that's minivan minivan mom with soccer kids, Or that's the the mom who spends too much time in her garden or the dad who works on his car. But do you legitimately know your neighbors? Do you know the people who live next door? Not just do you know their name, but do you know who they are? Because I believe that Jesus has placed you where you are to minister to the people where you are. And I believe that's true about your life individually. I also believe it's true about us as a church, that we have been placed, we have been planted here to impact the people who live around us. And so we simply ask the question, do you know your neighbor? And the story that we looked at last week was the Good Samaritan. As a priest and a Levite pass by this man who's been beaten and left half dead on the side of the road, but it's the Samaritan who stops and helps to render aid. It's the Samaritan, the person who is farthest from this person who's hurt, religiously, economically, politically, racially, And what we said is one of the things that, or one of the difficulties we have as followers of Jesus, we get so focused on going there that we miss the simplicity of going here. We we miss how easy it is to simply walk next door and show love and kindness and grace and mercy to the people that live around us. So, this morning... I want us to turn just to the very next story following the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You were worried and upset about many things, but few things. Or, needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. So there's several things happening in this story. One, Martha believes that Mary is in the wrong place. You see, this term, sitting at Jesus' feet, or to sit at the feet of a rabbi, was a very pointed term. It meant to be a disciple of a rabbi or a teacher. And so to sit at their feet was to be their student. And for women, it was not permitted that you sit at the feet of a rabbi. This was not a place for you. You did not belong here. And Mary is upset, or I'm sorry, Martha is upset that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's sitting here as a student. She's sitting here as Jesus is teaching and listening to what he says. She is in the wrong place. But what Luke is trying to help us to see is that grace knows no boundaries. Because the first story you have, the Good Samaritan, where Jesus is trying to break down these barriers politically and socially and economically and racially, here he's trying to break down this gender barrier that says a woman's not permitted to learn and be taught by a rabbi in this culture. And so you have Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha believes that she's in the wrong place. Then, verse 39 she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted. By all the preparations that had to be made, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. For Martha, there is an unhealthy pace. There's all this that needs to be done. And what better role could you have or serve than to be serving Jesus himself? I mean, she's preparing a meal and inviting Jesus into her home, and yet with all the distractions and all the preparations that need to happen, she misses that Jesus is actually in home, because there is so much to be done. Have you ever been distracted? Have you ever had so much going on in your life that you were distracted by all that needed to be done, and that you lost focus on what's most important? last spring every morning I dropped my kids off at school and I had just dropped them off and I have this kind of transition time because while they're in the car with me I try to talk to them when they're not fighting I try to talk to them and we try to have conversation we talk about what they're thankful for and when I drop them off and they get out of my car my mind automatically just transitions into what's next. And what I need to get done when I get to the office, or errands that I need to run before I even get to the office. And the problem is when I let them out of my car and I transition from focusing on getting them to school safely and transition to what I need to get done at the office... I forget that there are still school zones all around me. And so last year, I had just dropped them off. The car doors had shut. They were off inside the school and safe, and I'm turning out. I turn the block, and and I'm driving off. And there's this weird little place over by Andy Woods, right after you get through a stop sign, where it goes back into a school zone. And so I had forgotten that the school zone starts back after I turned. And so I'm driving, and all of a sudden, I see these lights flashing behind me. And the the officer pulls me over, and he says, Do you you know how fast you were going? And I I didn't. I, I didn't have any clue how fast I was going because my mind was not in the car focusing on what I was doing it was focusing on what's coming next and thankfully he gave me a warning I might have thrown in there I was a minister and trying to get to work but (laughs) just preached on grace Sunday (laughs) but he gave me a warning And those warnings sometimes are really helpful because they help us re-engage and refocus on what does matter. It, It was like this reminder like, oh yeah, I'm still driving a car that has the ability to hurt other people. I should probably focus on what I'm doing and where I am right now and not let my mind get so far ahead of me that I forget. We've been kind of looking as a vision team, at the demographics of our church as we went through this process. And one of the things that we found is the largest number of people in our church, if you can put that up, the largest number of people in our church is the generation that started our church. The generation that began Shiloh Road in the late 70s is the largest population of our church. And that's great. But, if the focus of a church simply becomes taking care of that group of people at any point in whatever group of people that might happen to be, and we forget to look back at the generations coming behind us, then at some point, we will cease to exist as a church. Because one day, and this is not morbid, and this is not saying anyone's going to die anytime soon, this is just simply saying that this group that's 50 to 69 is going to get older. And as it gets older, it's going to get smaller. And if we aren't, as a church, looking at the generations coming behind us, Trying to grow these generations that are 20 to 50 years old and pouring into them as a church, that there is going to continue to be a decline in our churches. That we have a responsibility to look back at the people coming behind us as a church. And if we ever lose sight of that, that's going to create some problems as our church continues to age. And that does not simply begin in this room with us thinking about a younger generation. It begins with each and every single one of us as missionaries in Tyler, Texas, where God has placed us. You see, you have an incredible opportunity because of the relationships you have and because of the people that God has placed around you to minister to them. And that's not to say, well, just forget the older people that live around you. But it is to say that there is an incredible importance to minister to those that God has placed around us. That we have to truly take Jesus' word seriously. Love your neighbor as yourself. That would mean we treat our neighbors as we want to be treated. We, we do for them what we would want people to do for us. But in a world where we are so good at living at such an unhealthy pace, It's easy to forget the things that matter. See, we wear busyness like a badge of honor. What have you been up to? Oh, so busy. I got so much going on. And in a way, when we do that, we're proud of it. I don't know about you, but I feel justified when I can tell people, oh, I've been busy. I've got a lot going I've been busy. For Martha, she is doing something extremely important. She is preparing and serving a meal for Jesus. And yet, it's Mary who is able to say I understand all of this stuff has to get done. But right now I'm going to sit at Jesus' feet. And the response is interesting. is Jesus says, Martha... Martha, the Lord answered, you are upset and worried, or worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, only one. That in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic languages, when you double a name or a noun, it's intended for magnification. And a couple of examples are David when he's weeping over his son Absalom. He says, Absalom, Absalom. Or Jesus when he's weeping over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Or Jesus when he's on the cross, weeping, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That so many times in Scripture, When these names are doubled, they come with tears. And I wonder if that's the emotion of Jesus right here in this place. If if there are not some tears shed by Jesus because she is so busy and so concerned about all that has to be done and yet she is missing the opportunity that she has to sit and learn from Jesus. I wonder if tears come with these words, Martha, Martha. See, there's the wrong place. There's unhealthy pace, but there's also a limited space. That Jesus tells her there is only one thing that really matters. There's only one thing that really matters. For my family, um, this semester. Um, Every year, the fall semester is an incredibly busy time. It it seems like once school starts up, we have um, Labor Day, Labor Day, we have Labor Day, and then from then till Thanksgiving, it seems like we go a hundred miles an hour all of the time. We had about four straight weeks where we had something every single night. And we got to the end. It was a Thursday night. It was the very last thing we had. Or I guess it was a Tuesday night. So we had something on Wednesday night. We got to Thursday. And Cammy and I were sitting in the living room. And there was this sense of, oh, man. Because we were so tired. We were so tired. See, what happens is as we start to focus on a lot of different things, the urgent things begin to replace the important things. Because there's a lot of things that need your attention and they need your attention now. Or at least they will make you think they do. And the urgent, if we're not really careful, will take priority over the important in our life. And Jesus has this moment with Martha where he says, Martha, 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 listen, listen. You are worried and distracted by so many things. But only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that one thing. So here's a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt burned out over-committed, run-down and tired, overwhelmed, where you simply needed to rest. You see, there were so many good things that Martha was doing. I mean, she is serving Jesus. She is taking the heart of a servant and just pouring out herself. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. Right now, there's only one thing that's needed. And it's interesting that these stories are placed back to back in Luke. Because it finishes the Good Samaritan story. Luke finishes the Good Samaritan story by saying, now, Go and do. Come on, go and do. Go, go love your neighbor as yourself. Go, go and do that. There's lots to be done. There's lots of people to serve. There's lots of people to live around you. There's a lot to do. Go and do that. And then he transitions into a story where he says, to a person who's going and doing, Slow down. Come and sit. And there's this really just huge tension in this story. And I think it's a tension that we all relate to so well. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus. Is it go and do or is it come and sit? And I think the answer is pretty simple. It's yes. Yes. Yes, I want you to go and do, and I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to do as this Samaritan did. But I also want you to come and sit. Because if you don't come and sit, the urgent will start to take priority over the important. And the things that matter the most will be drowned out by things that are just simply fighting for your attention. Because they need to be done. See, and here's the truth. It's not just simply in your relationship with Jesus that this has to happen. It's also in your marriage. Because let me tell you, it's really easy for the urgent to begin to take priority over the important. And if you do that too long, you neglect the important too long, then I promise you it will start to have dramatic effects on your marriage. It happens in the way that we parent our children. There, there's a lot of urgent. There's places we got to go and meetings and activities. There's a, there's a lot we got to do. They got to eat. They, they they actually have to eat. We have to go to the grocery store and buy. But there are some other things that are really important, like making sure as a couple you're modeling a relationship with Jesus as a single parent, that you're sharing your faith with your children, as grandparents, that you're imparting to the next generation what is most important to you. And if we don't prioritize the important over the urgent, do you know what our kids and grandkids are going to start to think is the important stuff. So go and do. But don't forget to come and sit. Because let's be realistic. That tomorrow. There's a job that you have to go to. And there's bills that you have to pay. And there's kids who need your attention. And there's people who live next door. It doesn't end. And if we cannot learn what it is that's important, the urgent will take control of our life. In Galatians, Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Doesn't that word sound so appealing in our society today? But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh Rather, to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh... For the desires of the flesh... Or, what the flesh desires is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. See, we're not real good at coming and sitting. We're not quite as good at living by the Spirit. And I think it's because so many times the urgent has just simply pushed out the important. And set it to the side. And when we don't live by the Spirit, let me just tell you, it is not easy to love your neighbor as yourself because it's not just intuitive to us as people to love people unconditionally, especially people who are not like us or people who do not share our values, our hobbies, our faith. But it is only as God is transforming us and changing us that that spirit of Christ begins to indwell in us. That it begins to transform and change us. And I think the question is, is just, well, Jesus, what is it? Is it come and, come and or go and do, or come and sit? Yes. Yes, go and do. But don't forget to come and sit. Don't forget that there is this tension. Hey, watch the ball. Watch the ball. Watch the ball. There is so much so much that you can do. And in the good samaritan story, I think Jesus would say, "Hey, there's one thing that matters. Loving this person who's hurting." And in the very next story, there's one thing that matters come and sit at my feet. God's plan for the redemption of the whole world was left in the hands of his church. That as Jesus died and conquered death and rose again, he set us free. And he left this plan for the redemption of the world in your hands and in mine. That we would literally embody Christ in this world for all to see and that we would share the good news of the gospel with everyone that we encountered and everyone that we lived with. But before it can begin to take root out there, it has to take root right here. Before it takes root in our body collectively, it's got to happen individually. The important has to take center stage over the urgent. And that only happens through contemplative prayer and sitting with Jesus. Burke mentioned we were going to do some things in December coming up on Wednesday night. And we're going to meet in here on Wednesday nights for anyone who's not, whose class is still not going. I think the ladies might have a class or two still. Um, but we're going to meet in here, and it's going to be a time of worship and prayer as we kind of head towards Christmas season. Or simply being with Jesus. And so it's not going to be real high energy, um, but we want to learn as a church to get good with being with simply being still and being in God's presence because if there is anything that our society tells us it's you need to be busy you need to be doing there's so much to go, go do and we want to take some time to practice just simply coming and sitting. And so this morning, as we kind of head towards our conclusion, we wanted to finish with a meal that's been prepared for you. A meal that you are invited to simply come and partake of. A meal that represents God setting people free. It's a Passover meal. A Passover meal that now commemorates the death and resurrection of Jesus our Lord. And we're going to share in the body and the blood because it's in that body and blood that we have life. And so this morning, it's an invitation to you who are tired and weary, who are overworked and overburdened, who are afraid and anxious, who are just simply unsettled. It is an invitation to come and sit. And come and eat. Because it's in this meal that we find life. During this time, we're going to kind of sing some songs to simply prepare our minds for this moment. And we would love to invite you into that space. Because here the space is unlimited. for you simply to be a child of God and rest in Him. So let's sing.